those are powerful verses as we get into uh, learning uh, in the book of Acts. Our focus has been uh, thinking about how God works among God's people. And, and yet, as we were talking about in Sunday school today, uh, we have a lot of questions. And so, um, Chesterland Baptist is a learning community. We are a forgiven community. We are a forgiving community. But we're growing in our understanding of how God works here among us. And we do so one by one individually. And we do so corporately as the body of Christ. And as we get into this, uh, this series of sermons as we open up in the book of Acts, I just want to tell you that today... Um, there's a lot of information here that we're going we're gonna, we're gonna to need more than a Conestoga wagon to get through this. And so uh, buckle your seatbelts. And so I'm going to do some teaching and some preaching. And you're going to walk away with some thoughts. And I want to stimulate you, encourage you to think about God in a way that you may not have thought about before. But we're going to be talking about uh, as Pentecost, when we got through Pentecost uh, Sunday, uh, again, I've been made talking to a lot of you and, and understanding that we go through holidays and uh, without really understanding a whole lot about what those holidays were. And Pentecost Sunday is not one that uh, many Protestants celebrate. But as we get into this, this whole concept that took place back there, that Christ ascended into heaven, and then with Pentecost, he, the Spirit of God uh, came down. And so the people were just saying, what could this mean? So we're going to get into what does that mean. And today what I want to look at are, are lots of thoughts, but let me ramble for a minute, but I'll just give you some reflections. And here's where I want to go, kind of, is I want to be um, talking about a danger that uh, is prevalent for me uh, as I see where the church is in America. But we'll talk about some dangers of a deficient faith, that people who don't have faith uh, get themselves into, into trouble. But we want to look at, uh, and this is the part that's probably going to be uh, heady for some folks, and, but just bear with me as we go through a communication and language, because what you go through and you understand about the Lord, the Lord wants you to learn how to communicate that to other people in a way that they understand it. So I've got a piece in there and some stories from this week that made me put that in there. But we're going to look at the book of Acts. We're starting this book of Acts, and again, another study that uh, I was going to do a week ago, but it's just taking me a little bit deeper. And, uh, but the primary focus is what does it mean for us as believers, and uh, what did it mean for them back then, 2,000 years ago, and we want to jump into their shoes to understand their mindset because we need to learn how to read the Bible accurately, competently, with a sense of what actually went on there and what is actually going on today. So we're going to bridge that gap as we go into this and so what it means for us. And here's my prayer. Uh, my prayer is, as, if you, as, as you have heard me say before, that we become a gospel-grounded people. We are a biblical church. We're not just a social gathering. We're not just a, a system that we've inherited for 200 years and we're, we're repeating the system. There's much more going on uh, behind the scenes if we understand what God is doing 
in and through us, but we want to be a biblical church. And what that means for me, in a, in a nutshell, is that we, we think biblically. We think according to the revelation that God has said, this is who he is, and this is what he's doing. We think biblically, and we take that relationship seriously that we begin to personally become transformed in how we relate. And we reflect, we want to reflect the Lord that we worship in our relationships. And so we want to think biblically and we want to relate and engage powerfully with the gospel of grace so that we show the love of Christ. And my concern, my concern is that as I see a lot of people who are going through the motions and they have a system of religion, a system of rituals, maybe even an education system, that their head is educated, but their heart is not. And, th- and so there's a disconnect, and a lot of people get caught off guard. Well, why, why did so-and-so do that? Because I thought they were Christian. And you don't understand what's going on in the heart, because people can get caught up if their faith isn't grounded in all kinds of things which we'll look at. But Hebrews 4, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, uh, let us fear it, while a promise remains of entering into his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. And I'm aware of the fact that there is a battle of sin in the human heart, that people do miss God, and they lose the battle, and they're struggling mightily because they don't know the Lord that well. And that's, that's our problem, because we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all have chunks in our heart that are dark, and we are not full of the love of Christ. And therefore, there are some weaknesses, there's some holes, there's some sin, there's some obstacles, there are things that are going on that are preventing us from loving God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our heart. And that's what the Spirit of God wants to do, is He gets in me and you, He's working from within, not from without. And so as we go into those things, it says, and two, we have had good news preached to us just as they did too, but the word that they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. There's a lot of people who hear things, but there's a lot of people who do not hear the Lord and they do not have faith in Christ. And therefore, I want to share with you some preliminary concerns that I, I mean, it's a constant thing in my mind, because when we read the book of Acts with our glasses as Americans, as Westerners, we will miss, I am certain we will miss certain things because we're not Jewish. By the way, uh, Sandy and I got a Christmas gift last Christmas was the uh, ancestor uh, 23andMe. And so I uh, did send my swab in and I got my DNA test back. Uh, I am 0.06% Jewish. I didn't know that. Ashkenazi Jew. That's me. How about that? And uh, so, but, but I don't think as an Ashkenazi Jew uh, from five generations ago. But there are, we don't see things. And so it's so easy to misread the scriptures. So Here's a little test. It's easy to misread. Can you find the mistake up there? Can you find it? I said, if you know it. So, all right. So, if you if you're an educator and you work with kids, you know this. But some of you, what's the mistake? Who? What? Can anybody see the mistake? Don't you tell it. Because you know. 
Yeah, there's two thus. And you can't scoot right over that. Oh, you say, those who didn't know. Say, I, I didn't see that. Well, here's the point. When you get into the Old Testament, you may not see this and you may not think about this as clearly as you see this one. But here's the message clearly from Hosea. Israel has forgotten his maker. You can't miss that. People forget God. And it's a serious flaw because as you get into these stories, as you read the stories of God calling his people out and then people forgetting the God who called them out. Here's the story. Uh, here's the story of Josiah. When he was eight years old, eight years old, when Josiah became king, his dad and his granddad were not godly kings. They forgot God. But Josiah, at eight, he became king, and he reigned 31 years. Ten years after he took the throne, at uh, 18, he ordered the high priest, Hilkiah, to uh, use the tax money and to renovate the temple. Josiah then with his spirit, he wanted to go back and he wanted to, to build the temple because they had gotten so far away from God that when the priest, uh, Hekiah, went in, he was clearing the treasure room of the temple and he discovered a scroll. Now, he discovered the scroll and the scroll was probably the book of Deuteronomy, the Torah, the Jewish law. But he discovered it. Why? Because they had forgotten their God. And when Josiah got this book, he had to dust it off. What was this all about? And they had forgotten God. And that's one of the messages of the Old Testament, that when you forget God, there are consequences. And three chapters later, in Second uh, Kings, Judah is taken away captive to Babylon. Now, this will come into play here in Acts 2 in a little bit. But the fact that people forgot God... And the same thing happened during the time of Christ. When Jesus met the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Essenes, they were people who had a religious system, but that system was empty. So empty that when the Messiah came, they couldn't recognize the Messiah. They had a system. And they were faithful to do the performances required of the system, but they were spiritually dead. And when Jesus stood upon the scene and John the Baptist came in, they did not recognize the Messiah. They had gotten so far away from the kingdom that their spirits were dead spiritually. And therefore, Jesus confronted them. And you know the story that when Jesus sees deficient faith, he exposes it. You guys are like whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, but on the inside, there's nothing. And therefore, when the church becomes empty and vacuous and meaningless, you have nothing to say to anybody because you can't hear the voice of God. This took place also not only in Josiah's time and his, in his granddad and dad and took place among the Pharisees. It has taken place in Europe when the Catholic Church for 1,200 years said, we want to give you the Mass in Latin so that you don't understand and it becomes a mystical experience that you understand that this Catholic system is going to be a medieval system that's going to keep you in the darkness. You can get salvation by indulgences. And you can pay 
to have your sins removed. And therefore the church in the dark ages was empty. The priests were empty. The leaders were dead. And therefore the church was dead. And they all, all they had was a system, a broken system. And that's why when you had the reformers come along and says, this system is broken. It doesn't work. We want real life. And so the non-believers said, well, we'll, we'll, we'll make the Renaissance and we'll come alive with music and art and, and festivities. And, 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 and Martin Luther says, yeah, but that's not what we're interested in. We're interested in the spirit coming alive. But he couldn't come alive in a system that had forgotten the book. And therefore traditions and the, and the, and the uh, rituals had become prominent, but the book wasn't. And it wasn't until Martin Luther got back into a Greek translation, not the Latin translation, that Martin Luther began to realize that Jesus Christ alone was sufficient. You didn't need Christ and good works to get to heaven. You didn't need Christ and, and to do all these rituals. It was Christ alone, by faith alone, by the, by the word alone. And so the Reformation brought the church back to life by defining who the authority was, and that authority was Jesus Christ. We are in a similar position today when we are trying to communicate, communicate the gospel in a postmodern world. When we're trying to communicate the God of the Bible in a language today with people who don't know the Lord, we are in the same problem. We have the same problem, the same challenge. Now, last week, I or two weeks ago, I introduced this concept. Now, bear with me for a minute, because this becomes a little theological, but you'll see where it comes into play and why it's important. When we talked about God as being transcendent, almighty, holy, holy, the almighty, when we talk about God as transcendent, that's one of our beliefs, but we know that God's God, but we also understand that God is imminent, and that means he is very present. It means God isn't God isn't the creation. The creator is separate from, but he's present with the very creation. Now this is important for you to understand how to communicate because I had a conversation last week with a woman who was struggling and she was struggling with lots of issues that were so overwhelming that I thought, how on earth are you standing, lady? Because it was easy to see how she had been whipped by life and destroyed by sin. And she was just all over the place and yet kind of comfortable in her pain, used to it. And it was just difficult to be with her, the saying that she has missed out on so much. And the good news is this, there's new life in Christ, but her faith was irrelevant. I said, how do you keep going? She said, I believe in God. And whatever came over me at that moment, I asked the question, which God? Now that was a point for me, I thought, I need to ask, well, which God do you believe in? She says, well, uh, uh, um, a God God, uh, the, the God. I said, well, which God is that? And she could not tell me. She had her belief that was empty, it was just an empty word, God was... Uh, and she didn't know how to communicate. I said, well, do you believe in God the Father? Oh, oh yeah, 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 I believe in God the Father. Because, uh, yeah, because I heard that in church. We pray to our Father who art in heaven. I, I said, well, do you pray to Jesus? And she said, 
I never pray to Jesus. Do you pray to the Holy Spirit? She says, I don't know what you're talking about. And that's the point. When you use the word God, and you're talking about a transcendent God, you're going to miss understanding where people are coming from. And here's what I want you to understand. When we as Christians talk about God, there are two ways to talk about the Lord. And one is a biblical way, which is what we're going to be grounded in. And the other is a non-biblical way. Now watch this. In the biblical way, when we talk about God as a Christian, we're talking about becoming alive spiritually in a relationship with Christ. We're not talking about becoming religious. We're talking not about organized religion. We're talking about you know the Lord by name, and he knows you by name, and you have a relationship that's alive. It's not just an answer to a question, do you believe in God? I do. That's the wrong question. The real question is, do you love the Lord? Do you know the Lord loves you? That's the question. But they can't answer. And so to become alive spiritually, you've got this biblical category, which we think of, and let me explain this. When we're talking about, from the biblical side, that God is transcendent, what we mean by saying that word is this, that God, there's two things that we want to fill in the blank, and you, you have to communicate this. Because if you don't, you're going to get lost in their, in their thinking. By saying God is transcendent, we mean that God is sovereign. There's no one he turns to. He exists outside of all research, and he doesn't read, or he doesn't watch the talking television heads. He knows because he is sovereign God, omniscient, omnipresent. He is the Lord of Almighty. And therefore, as God's sovereign, he is in total control of all human history. Now, we believe that. Not only do we believe that he's sovereign, but that as sovereign king, he is Lord and therefore has authority. And we follow him because of who he is. He is Lord of Lord. You call me teacher and Lord, John 13, 13, and you are right. And Jesus took that position. I am the authority. I am God. And so when we talk about God being transcendent, we mean these two things. God is sovereign, and because he's king, he has authority to command me, to, to lead me, to guide me. We follow Christ. That's what transcendent means. But the non the non-believer doesn't believe that. When the non-believer says you're transcendent, what he talks about are two things. And first of all, he, God is my higher power. God is my higher power. I believe in God. I believe in a higher power. I believe there's whatever's God, God up there. I believe that higher power, that God has power. But that God has power is so high and so far and so distant that he's not present. And therefore, the higher power means he's inaccessible. And he may be interested, he may not be interested as a, as a watchmaker. God, God's up there, but he doesn't give a rip about me. And there, there's a lot of people who have lots of funny thoughts about God, and they hate God, and they're angry at God, and they resist God. Well, that, that's a non-biblical picture of God. The second thing we want to talk about is that there's this imminence 
that as a Christian, when we think that God is God, he's not only transcendent and out there in control and sovereign and authority, but he's imminently present. God with us, Emmanuel with us. Isaiah 40, uh, do not fear for I am with you. He's not only the God that's transcendent out there, he's the God that's walking step by step in front of me, behind me, beside me, over me. He is present, and yet I may not realize his presence. And therefore, the fact that I may not realize it doesn't mean he isn't that. I may not know that or experience that, but he is here. And we don't even know that which we don't know. And what that means for us as in the Christian category, that God has covenanted himself. He has purposed by his will to say, I will be with this people and they will be my God. I give you my promise. I covenant myself to you. And that imminence means we know that the Lord dwells among us. But we also know that because of the Spirit and the New Testament that God not only is with us, but he lives inside of us. Paul said, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Now, if that doesn't throw you into some questions, how can you have somebody else living inside of you? But the presence of Christ means that, that you have an indwelling companion who's with you everywhere you go. When we talk about the Lord being transcendent and the Lord being imminent, that's the Christian view. But for the non-Christian when they talk about the imminence of God, they say, well, I feel, I feel this influence, this higher power. I, I, I get myself and my spirit is one with the world. And I, I, besides an influence, there are spirits that are in conflict. And that conflict that people talk about spiritual battles. It's hard to understand a non-believer when he's talking about darkness and, and disease and these power confrontations. But the religions of the world will try to balance this out by going and hugging a tree, by becoming one with nature. We see this in the, in the Celtic religion with the Druids that Aaron's over there, and, and, and we've been talking about that. You have cultures like Japan. When they pray, they go tie little ribbons on trees. And you see a tree full of 500 ribbons. You go, oh, how pretty that is. It, it, it's animism, pantheism. It's, it's superstitious. And then you come away with this question. Huh? How do you communicate a transcendent, imminent, sovereign, present God to somebody who says, God is so far out there, but he can't, he's not knowable. And that's the tension. That's our tension because people have forgotten God like Josiah, like in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. But when you try to access your higher power, how do you know you have accessed your higher power? You don't know. And therefore you have faith in your faith and your faith is groundless except it's an empty word. Not for us. Because you come into the book of Acts and here's what you get. Jesus is Lord. We have very clear 
content. We know who He is. We know what He does. He transcends all. He is sovereign and He is authority as King. And as Lord transcendent, He is also Lord eminent. He sends His covenant presence. You will be my witnesses and I will be with you to the end of the earth, end of the ages, indwelling presence. And now we're ready to understand the book of Acts. Because what you will do, if you're like me, you'll read the Bible and you go, give me that Oreo cookie and a cup of coffee. So, and you, you'll study and you'll get your dictionary out and you'll read it. But you will really miss this point. And I don't want you to miss this point because this is significant. And as Americans, we will simply gloss over that and say, I read that. Reading through the Bible in a year, I, I, I read that. I'm familiar. But you'll miss it. And I don't want you to miss it. And here's what I don't want you to miss. Here's what I don't want you to miss. In the book of Acts, we have a chapter that's so exciting because you have the Holy Spirit beginning to do that which Jesus had said he was going to do. And he commences his kingdom work. And that kingdom work should leave you stunned. But sometimes when you read the Bible, you're not stunned. You kind of read it with, oh yeah, I've read that before. And so we read it with Western eyes, with an intellectual. We don't have any wonder, any wow. And that's what I want you to have. Look at this. I tell you where I saw that this week was in vacation Bible school. Now this is going to, this is going to get a tickle, tickled me. Look at that face. <laughs> Look at those eyes. And as a kid, those eyes are so open. Look at these faces. Oh, wow. They're listening to these stories. Look at that smile. And they're just so intrigued. They've Wow, look at that. And as you see these, as I saw those kids, I was thinking, okay, Lord. I was praying behind the scenes. Like, How are you going to work in these kids? And this is what I saw. I, so I captured these pictures. And I thought, the Spirit of God is getting their attention. But the children have this sense of, wow, that's exciting. Oh, and, and, and that's what Jesus said. I want you to become childlike. Not childish, but I want you to have that sense of wonder. But we've lost that. But these kids will grow up with shadows that will take place to that wonder where the world comes in. But this is what we ended up with. Boy, this is a great celebration. You missed that vacation Bible school. And there's a lot of fun things going on. With kids, why doesn't it happen with adults? What happened to that spirit that wonders, God, wow. Something happens when the human spirit becomes constrained. And there is no freedom. That's not what happened in this book. So get yourself into the mindset 2,000 years ago because this wasn't just a, a, a 40 verses and then we're done. It's like these guys went through something miraculous that was never to be repeated. Now put yourself in their positions. The Spirit of God has now, uh, Christ has ascended and the Spirit of God has descended and was coming around the group. 12 disciples, maybe 120 disciples, but there were tongues of fire. Now, try to explain this 
to an unbeliever. Higher power. This was a Kairos moment. A Kairos moment, not chronological moment. Chronological is your time. Kairos means special time. It's a special time when the Spirit of God opened up the heavens and He came down and He opened up the church. And this was the Kairos moment that it happens only in this time. Not to be repeated. A special, unique situation. And therefore, when you look at Acts 2, this is not about speaking in tongues. This is something far greater than just speaking in tongues. And, the way, and that experience of speaking in tongues means that there was a real, a real language. And we'll look at that later. But this is a one-time event. Not to be repeated in the same way because there's other things going on. Because this is unfolding eschatology. This is God bringing in the end times, opening up the heavens, and there's a new order. There's a new order coming in. This order would be just as Jesus said it would be. And therefore, they weren't surprised. They were prepared. They understood, and they knew what to expect. And so when it happened, it was, it was wonderful because it was anchored in Scripture. This wasn't just an experience for the sake of experience and a higher power for the sake of a higher power. This was God revealing himself as he had promised to do. Now what would that do in the heart of man? What did it do for the disciples? Listen to this. As Jesus would prepare them, he says, as he, after he was raised from the, de- the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. The disciples recalled And then they believed that the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. That's John 2. They recalled it. Now keep in mind their brain. These things the disciples did not understand at first. We don't understand at first. Of course we don't. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered those things that were written of him. And they went back to the Scripture. And they had the foundation. In the Old Testament, in the New Testament, they remembered all that God had said, and therefore their memory came into play because they understood that this was God at work. John would go on to say, From now on I am telling you before it comes to pass, so that when it does occur, you would believe. And God gave them these experiences, not just for the experience, for the faith of building their faith, for the fact of building their faith in Christ, that Christ is going to do something. And when he did it, John 14, 29, now I have told you before it happens, so that when it happens, you would believe it. Jesus prepared his disciples. They weren't caught off guard. They knew, they knew, that these things I have spoken to you, that when the hour comes, you may remember that I told you. Now this is what these men had been prepared for. That these things I did not say to you at the beginning, because they weren't ready. God knows when you're ready. He knows if you're listening. He knows if you're learning. He knows if you're obeying. And when you're ready, He'll send the teacher. And He opens your eyes, and then you move through the experience and you grow in Christ. If you're not ready, you're not ready. If you're not ready, he won't speak to you on those things that you're not ready to listen to, not to learn. But Jesus would do this. And the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of the sinful man, be crucified, and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words. 
The disciples recall, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. And they anchored their experience, they anchored their faith in the word of God. They didn't forget God. They knew. They remembered his words. Now here's the question. How could they remember everything? This is what I want you to hear. When the Spirit of God came, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance. Luke wrote these things down because he came up with them. He wrote these things down because the Holy Spirit gave them remembrance. And therefore, when you need to know something, the Holy Spirit will guide you in those things. You need to believe that because he will call to mind what he has written in his word. That's our strength. And if you're not in the word, you are weak. And you will substitute an experience, you will substitute an event, and you will forfeit the faith that has anchored the saints for years. But that's our danger. But the promises, as Joshua said, not one of the good promises which the Lord had made to the house of Israel failed. God knew and God promised. And nothing that God promised would fail. And the disciples knew this was this was not just another thing. This was God fulfilling his promise. And that was exciting because when God said, I'm going to send you the helper, he did. And that's what they understood. And Paul understood that beginning. And, and Paul said this in Galatians. And because you are sons and daughters, God has sent his spirit of a son into our hearts. There's the eminence. God is present with us. And we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit of God leads you to cry out to the Father in the name of Christ. There it is. And that's what you need to understand about the Luke-Acts story. Now, it's a story of redemption. It's a story of God moving among his people so the people cry out, Father, Spirit of God, help me remember. Because if this is not there for you, this may sound strange, but you, won't, you will forget God. And you will substitute something else. And therefore, let me just end with a, just a, a bit of a, uh, of a trailer, a hook for next week. But remember I said that when Luke wrote this book, there were two books, Luke and Acts. And when you read the book of Luke without reading the book of Acts, you only get half of it. Well, when you move into the book of Acts, what you get is the story that the Holy Spirit begins, commences his kingdom work, first of all, by regeneration of the unbeliever. The Spirit is going to make these men come alive in Christ. And by the work of regeneration, they become new creations in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. If you're not in Christ, you're, an old, you're a dead creation. Without Christ, you are on your own. But when the Spirit of God comes, he gives the gift of faith, of hope, and love in Christ. Therefore, the Spirit of God begins this new work. Second, he restores the believer, the man and woman, to the man and woman that God intended you to be. The Spirit of God restores, and he brings back all the things that are lost. And by bring, 
bringing us back to Christ, we become not only new creatures, but we become restored creatures. And then the Spirit of God enlightens and He empowers His people as they grow in relationship with bold conviction that there is no other message on earth, no other name to call upon whereby men and women must be saved. The conviction is there's only one Savior, one Lord, one transcendent, one imminent, one, one ascended, one descended. And that's what the Spirit of God does. When He comes in, He's going to apply everything that Christ taught and bring to your remembrance who He is and what He's doing in you and in us. That's a, a wow. That'll get your eyes open. And therefore, in uh, this book, uh, Daryl Bach and Andres Kostenberger, they have this chapter, The Often Lost Importance of the Book of Luke-Acts. And let me just summarize it with a sentence. You can read it with me. Luke records the story of God working through Jesus to usher a new era of promise and spirit enablement so that the people of God would be God's people even in the midst of a hostile world. This is the single story. This is the single story that the Spirit of God is going to give you the promise of His presence, the promise of His power, so that we as a church here in Chesterland walk as new creations. This is the beginning of the story, and we're starting it in the book of Acts. Buckle your seatbelt, because it's just going to get better. As we learn who He is, and we communicate our God is everything He says He is, your heart should go, wow, wow. Because when at Pentecost, what happens at that point is Jesus' crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension, and the Spirit being outpoured all took place in two months. Bam, 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 bam. And these guys were alive. God is alive. And, and, and they're ready for the stage to read the book of Acts. Hang on. It just gets exciting. I'll continue next week. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, I pray that these words today would penetrate our hearts, that we would know that the salvation that you, you came to deliver to us is not just an empty system or theolo- theological uh, information, but it is life. And your Spirit gives us the words of life. So Father, if those who are here, I pray that you would give us ears to hear, that you would open our hearts and see you at work drawing each of us to Christ. And if there are those who have questions, Father, give us the freedom to ask those questions because we want to know you. And so we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.